Good morning, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, what is it really like to be a Muslim girl growing up in the modern world? According to one woman who lived it, in reality, the struggles are not all that different from those who try to balance modernity with tradition in any religion. We speak with the author of Stay Daughter. Also this morning, local director Todd James talks about the challenging logistics of the Red Cross emergency response in Hawaii. In case you missed it, Finley's biggest summer event is happening this weekend. We get a preview of the Flag City Balloon Fest. And we have another collection of yummy and easy-to-make recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, August 11th, 2023. I thought this was really interesting, a, a story that I saw on the Newswire, and it really brings up an interesting point of discussion about where we are as a society today. Let me give you the story here and then pose this question to you. A woman who was on a flight last month had some sort of emotional meltdown, and the flight was, uh, flight was getting ready to leave from Dallas-Fort Worth. And uh, this woman, whatever her issue was, she started ranting and raving and cursing at the flight crew and so on, eventually was escorted off of the plane. Now, it should be pointed out that she was not charged with a crime. And you know that the FAA aviation authorities have really cracked down on bad behavior uh, on uh, airplanes. But this woman was not charged with a crime. And that is, I think, significant to the story because her freakout was captured on video by one of the other passengers who posted it on TikTok and the whole thing went viral. And now this woman says her whole life has just blown up. Millions of people around the world have seen her fit of hysterics and she's been taking a lot of grief. They figured out who it was. And she's been taking a lot of grief and, and all of that. And she is pleading for people to just leave her alone. She says, no one knows anyone else's story and no one should judge. And it does bring up the point, should we all be judged by our worst moments? You know, these... Millions of people who don't know this person, don't know any of the circumstances. They saw the video, which obviously just catches her meltdown, but none of the context of exactly what was going on in her life at that moment. Would you want to be judged by your worst moment by people who don't know you? And of course, these days, it's possible to find out who this person person is and harass her and and so on and of course her video has gone viral millions of views so it, it does bring up that question of is this really right i mean we've all seen these videos and we've all kind of in our mind judged these people but uh, i don't know i just thought that was a kind of interesting story that i saw in the uh, newswire she is begging people to please leave her alone and give her back her privacy give her back her life by the way uh, i thought this was kind of interesting and talk about disruptive airline passengers the faa has found that unruly behavior has decreased since 2021 uh, the latest report on passenger behavior incidents finds that the number of such incidents, such disruptive incidents, has decreased by 80%. There were nearly 6,000 such reports in 2021 and only a little less than 1,200 so far in 2023. So 80% decrease. No more COVID protocols to deal with, such as mask wearing, which obviously lowers the stress level. And that's what most of the drop is related to, according to Kathleen Enderek of Arizona State University, who analyzed these numbers. Serious cases still sent to the FBI, and passengers can face up to $37,000 in civil penalties for disruptive behavior. But again, I'll reference this story of uh, this meltdown that went viral out of uh, DFW, and the woman was not charged. So... I don't know. Maybe we give people a break 
it is just something to keep in mind the next time you see one of those viral videos. So the weekend is coming up. What plans do you have? Maybe catch a few, uh, have a few brewskis with your friends, tip back a few cold ones. Would you drink a beer made from reclaimed wastewater? Uh Uh-huh. I mean, we're talking about wastewater, recycled water, shower water, laundry water, even people's toilet water. The toilet-to-tap method might be cleaner than you think. Devil's Canyon Brewing Company has partnered with Epic Clean Tech, a wastewater uh, reclamation uh, platform or service, And they have partnered to create the Epic One Water Brew. It's made from water recycled from a San Francisco apartment building. Now, I don't know that they're using toilet water necessarily. It's shower and laundry water. um, Because I think the toilet water may be a bridge too far for a lot of people. I mean, if it was reclaimed shower or laundry water, maybe we might be... Amenable to that, giving it a try. I think if it was recycled toilet water, I think that's a non-starter for most people. But anyway, research shows, and this is the claim, research shows that recycled water can actually be cleaner than groundwater or river water. It's clean through the reverse osmosis process, which is effective in filtering out particles and chemicals that you would not want to drink. Some areas like uh, Aurora, Colorado and Atlanta, Georgia already use reclaimed water in their drinking water systems. So why not use it to brew beer? I don't know. Would you? Would you? How about if you had a beer and then afterward they told you? I mean, I would at least want to know up front. I might be willing to give it a try. I don't know if I could get past that whole, you know, brewed with water that came from some random stranger's shower sort of thing. <laughs> like I said, toilet water, probably a non-starter. Probably a non-starter there, I would think. <clears throat> some of the other most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started. This is amazing research. Some scientific slash medical research um, that finds... That hearing sounds can provoke strong emotional responses, but only if heard in the left ear. (laughs) That's interesting. And it says hearing sounds can provoke stronger emotional responses when heard from the left ear. It's a study out of Switzerland, which shows a link between positive sounds like laughter I mean, who doesn't hear somebody laughing, especially like a baby laughing, and smile? Who doesn't have a positive emotional reaction when they hear laughter? But only with your left ear. Um, Yeah, the positive positive sounds or the the positive emotions uh, were triggered only when heard from the left side. Negative sounds, however, like someone screaming, did not evoke a strong emotional response when heard from either ear. Hmm. 13 participants, so a very small study, 13 participants listened to sounds coming from different directions, like from the front, the back, the left, the right. And that's what they came to the conclusion that the left ear provides the strongest emotional response in the listener. Scientists are unsure why our brains would have evolved this way. And the author of the study, Stephanie Clark, says further study is needed to determine if there is an actual link to uh, to a preference of which ear you hear things. Or um, maybe even the arrangement of your internal organs has something that they don't really know. But apparently, we have a stronger emotion when we hear something from our left ear. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Now, this is this is a bit crazy, and this also from the uh, from the medical file. You know how the internet has turned everyone. You know, anybody can be a 
um, anybody can be a taxi driver now with apps like uh, Lyft and Uber and all of that. Anyone can be a delivery driver with DoorDash or Grubhub. Anybody can be a can run their own hotel, basically, with Airbnb and Verbo. Well, now it appears that anyone can be a sperm donor. It's true. Apparently, there is a Facebook group where men can donate their sperm to couples who are uh, looking to get pregnant but can't on their own. Um, It's uh, the Internet's answer, just like Airbnb is the Internet's answer to pricey hotels. This Facebook group is the uh, online alternative to pricey IVF treatment. In vitro fertilization, one round can cost up to $30,000. And so given the expense and the number of people who can't really afford that, it's probably not surprising that something like this has has popped up, so to speak. Um, (laughs) one of the uh, the quote-unquote customers, Ms. Nicole, is all she's known by here, said uh, uh, she drove from Kentucky to Ohio to pick up a sperm donation from a man that she met in a casino for the exchange. Uh, he basically put his donation in a cup and handed it over, and that was that. She said it was... Very weird, but a certainly wasn't $30,000. Now, I don't know. It's called Sperm Donation USA, if you're interested. And it's a Facebook group. has about 24,000 members. And um, apparently they don't charge, or if they do, it's uh, something that's worked out between the donor and the uh, recipient. And uh, I don't know. I'm not surprised necessarily, but that's, (laughs) there are some things that I just wouldn't buy on the internet. Let me just say that. (laughs) There are some things that I just would not buy uh, on the internet. But I can understand $30,000 is the alternative, and that's uh, extremely pricey. So that's interesting. And by the way, speaking of um, things of that nature, a follow-up to a story. You remember a couple of weeks ago we had the uh, story that scientists were looking into uh, the idea of getting pregnant in space, which is going to be an important uh, thing if we're going to you know, colonize the moon or travel to Mars uh, in the future and colonize that planet, we better know if human reproduction works outside of our atmosphere. And there is the concern that, you know, just like the Mile High Club, people, you know, getting it on on an airplane, now with space tourism becoming a thing, if there would be, (laughs) you know, an outer space, um, you know, 50 mile high club you get the idea well apparently now the we have an answer if someone gets pregnant uh on purpose or otherwise in space there's a chance that the background radiation would harm the freshly fertilized egg cell um researchers two space researchers have come out with a uh, an answer to the question about uh, what happens if you uh, do the deed in outer space. Uh, they say there is no telling how this uh, space radiation would affect the remainder of a pregnancy. So, just something to think about. These are these are the questions that we have to answer as science advances. So. Very important stuff there. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Partly sunny today with a high in the mid-80s becoming cloudy tonight. A chance of a storm, a low in the upper 60s. A longtime Finley police officer who's retiring was honored by the police chief. Officer Tom Davis served a total of 45 years with the Finley Police Department. He's a symbolism of professionalism, dedication, and what it means to be a, a true community service member for in the city of Finley. And we appreciate it all the time that uh, he's given us and uh, wish him well in his retirement with his wife. 
Police Chief James Mathias says Officer Tom Davis retired in 2000 after 22 years on the force, and then he went to auxiliary status for the department and has served in that role for the past 23 years. Get more of our conversation with the chief about Officer Davis in the story on our website. It was move-in day on the University of Finley campus, and we caught up with Cora from Kansas to see how her move-in experience was going. Bringing all of my stuff in two vehicles, all of them from Kansas, was definitely a little difficult. Um, it was really put together, though. Finley has done a really good job at getting all of our stuff to our dorm for us and making it easier than it feels. The rooms look good, and moving in has been really smooth so far. Cora plans to study physical therapy, and she'll also be on the softball team. See some video from move-in day in the story on our website. Thanks to toxic algae, swimming is currently not permitted at Maumee Bay State Park near Toledo. Prolonged exposure can lead to skin irritation, rash, upset stomach, and even illness. That sign that says do not swim, there's a reason for it. It's because we're looking out for your health. Health officials tell me if you're already exposed, the best bet is to immediately go home and shower to reduce your exposure time. And make sure you wash your swimsuits as well. Reporting in Oregon, I'm Michael Sandlin. The executive director of the American Red Cross of North Central Ohio, based in Finley, is joining the ongoing Red Cross disaster relief operation in Hawaii as dangerous wildfires continue to burn. Todd James will be serving as an advanced public affairs team member and communicating vital information on services available to families and communities. This is Todd's 40th disaster relief operation deployment. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. You know, we could talk all day about the things that Americans don't understand about Muslims. But one of the most talked about aspects would be the attitude toward and treatment of women in this culture. Well, in her book, Stay Daughter, Yasmin Azad recounts what it was like to be a Muslim girl in Sri Lanka in the middle part of the 20th century and how things have changed in the 50 or so years since. And Yasmin, thanks very much for taking the time. First of all, we appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So, again, we talk today about the restrictions that Muslim women are required to follow. When you talk about you know, this part of the, what, 1950s, 1960s here, when you were growing up, how was that different? How was that different than what we see today? So how it's different is, um, you know, I'm just going to go back just a minute. You know, my grandmother, who lived about 100 years ago, couldn't read or write or even count beyond 10 because she never went to school. Mm. And I, about 100 years after her, born after. Yeah, she uh, asked my father for permission to go to the university. So things had changed a lot. Wow. But what happened? Yes, a lot. And, you know, like the women's movement in the West, you know, you can't have such a profound change in society where women who were once confined to the innermost rooms are allowed to go out without it having an effect on everything else, right? The families, the communities. Mm-hmm. And you ask me what I, what the difference is. So what I have been seeing, unfortunately, in the last few decades is, you know, there's been an Islamic revivalist movement all across the world. Where things have, you know, where once moderate societies even be, have begun to become more religious and orthodox. For instance, if you Google Iranian university students or Afghanistan university students in the 1970s, you'll see pictures of these girls in miniskirts on the road, on yeah. the streets. yeah. And we'll never see that in Kabul again (laughs) right now. So I think there has been, I wouldn't say it's a backlash against women's rights only, but I think it's kind of like an inward turning by Islamists who say that modernity is not working for them anymore, for society. And we need to go back to the old ways. So, to, so my mother gave up the burqa, you know, the, the tent-like uh, robe that we, women wear from mm-hmm. head to toe. Right. I never wore it, but right now in Sri Lanka, they're wearing it again. Hmm. It's been an interesting turnaround, yes. So how did this happen? I mean, uh, again, you go from a culture that was... Um, that was very strict toward uh, women and and uh, very limited in in what women were allowed to do, and then you have all mm-hmm. of these freedoms. You know, you you go through a period where uh, women were give all given all of these freedoms, and then that's mm-hmm. pulled back again. So, how did that happen? 
So I think there's a lot of reasons that, for instance, the political power of Saudi Arabia and the fundamentalist movement that took place there, it spread across the world. But what I sense is, and I have to say, you know, women are allowed to go to the universities now. Iran, for instance, I think has more uh, uh, women uh, in the universities than men. But there's also, as I said, this Islamist movement where they want to go back. And I think it comes from a, a very orthodox religious uh, society feeling threatened by modernity and all that it entails. Because if you read what they write, it's like modernity is not, they call it the crisis of modernity. That, you know, and, hmm. and, and in that context, you know, modernity is for, uh, you know, is also women's rights, right? The, the, that yeah. has been part of modernity. And I think so the role of women and what they wear has got entrenched in that whole backlash against modernity. And that's what we are seeing in, in, in Afghanistan. You know, there are no more miniskirts there in those right. tents. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because this ongoing battle between modernity, as you mentioned, the, the norms of the modern world versus the mm-hmm. traditions versus the traditions of faith. Every religion, mm-hmm. every religion struggles with that to some mm-hmm, degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. why is it that uh, some religions seem to be, and again, talking about uh, Islam in particular, in this particular case, yeah. but again, this is not necessarily uh, unique, but, but some factions of all religions seem to struggle more with that than others. Mm-hmm. And I think for two reasons, you know, Islam is historically has never had a separation of state and church, uh, uh, church and state. You mm-hmm. know, pure Islamic countries are like theocracies. Yeah. And the other thing, and this, I'm glad you asked me this question. One of the things that modernity does is erodes community. You know, you you become a much more individualistic human being than one that identifies with community. Mm-hmm. And for Muslims, you know, community is at the heart of the religion. It's 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 like very yeah. important. It's the only religion I yes. And I feel like uh, they they see this. They see that you know that they are and, and for good reason too in some ways. I'm just going to sidetrack for a minute. You know, about three months ago, the Surgeon General of the United States sent out an advisory about the epidemic of loneliness and isolation and, and its impact on human mental and physical health. And you might not know, but in 2018, the British Prime Minister, Theresa May, established a minister of loneliness. Yeah. So what the Islamists say is the two most advanced countries, one of the two most advanced countries, have have, are having the, the the government intervene in in what they say is very nice. We we are we don't need the government. Mm-hmm. We don't have that much loneliness. And even when I speak to my older relatives in Sri Lanka, one of my relatives said, "You know, these days children know only their first cousins." What she's saying is that whole community extended family is being undermined, and that I think is a huge loss for. Muslims, mm-hmm. which, and rightly so, because I know that there's something very good about community yeah. and connection, and I think, so those two things are coming up against modernity. Yeah, I, I, again, and there are a lot of cultures that are struggling with that, but again, because it is so important in the Muslim uh, mm-hmm. community, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. The, the unfortunate part, though, uh, through all of that, mm-hmm. is that the mm-hmm. ones who have to bear the heaviest weight of this clash between mm-hmm. traditional Traditions and modernity are the children mm-hmm. who have to mm-hmm. straddle wanting to be in the modern world, but also need mm-hmm. to respect the traditional culture that they have always known and probably don't fully yes. understand. That's got to be tough mm-hmm. as a kid, especially a girl, especially today yeah. in the yeah. in Muslim communities. Right. And and I see I think you see that most in immigrant families where the the parents are from the traditional, you know, they've come from South Asia or the Middle East mm-hmm. and the children are going to school in you you know, the United States public schools. Yeah. And there's really that 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 tension because who who am I and what do I follow? You know, 
that that is where the tension I think you can see it most. Yeah. Um, for instance, the arranged marriage. You know, the parents would like to arrange marriage for <laughs> somebody. Yeah. As you know, I have three sons, and I sometimes I'm asked, "Aren't you arranging?" And I say, oh, "No, they're Americans. This this doesn't happen in the United States." <laughs> uh, there are there are a fair number of Americans who wish that we could probably do that for our kids uh, as well. But that's a whole different topic. Um, the 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 bottom line here, and and you talk about this in the book uh, that I think is I think is the biggest takeaway, and I want to get to you, get your uh, thoughts on this is that the uh-huh. the truth about women's lives in traditional Muslim societies is that they are mm-hmm. not all oppressed, that they are not all leading no. miserable lives. It is a lot more no. complex than that. Is that the biggest thing that you want yes. non-Muslims yes. to kind of take away from the book? Yes, that exactly is. Because the stereotype is when you see something from afar, you only see this one story, right, of oppression. But that's not true. And women, you know, I mean, women... I think, I don't know, I can't speak for men, but women particularly appreciate community, connection, support, having some family support when they are raising their children. And that's a very much a part of Muslim communities. And that's not to be, dis- you know, you can't dismiss this. As, oh, that's not mm-hmm. important. It is. It's very important. Yeah. I was a mental health counselor in the United States for 25 years, and almost every day I saw the impact of the loss of those supports on women. So, you know, it's it's a very complex situation there and so and the other takeaway i want is you know when traditionalists talk about some of the losses that we need to hear them we can't say well everything modern is good and it's utopia here and you know you need to remove you need to get rid of every all of your traditions i don't think you you can have a mm. conversation with them like that. Yeah. Uh, it, that I think that's a, a strong message as well, that uh, just like every religion struggles to balance uh, modern mm-hmm. uh, the modern life or the modern world today mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. traditions and tenets of their faith, uh, certainly no different mm-hmm. for, uh, for Muslims, although uh, certainly more complex in many ways. Again, yes. uh, Yasmin yes. Izad uh, is the author of the book Stay Daughter, do you have a website where folks can learn more about yes, the book? Yes, I do. Yes, it's uh, staydaughter.com. Okay, very the good. Title of my book.com. Yasmin Azad, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Now we get to the big news story of the day. 55 known fatalities, more than 1,000 people unaccounted for in and around Lahaina on the island of Maui in Hawaii after wind-whipped fire uh, wildfires uh, this week. Local director Todd James has been deployed to the island as part of the Red Cross response. It is not an unfamiliar assignment for Todd. He has been deployed more than 40 times to various natural disaster areas, but this is one that is decidedly unique. Yesterday afternoon, we spoke with him about the logistics of a Red Cross emergency response in Hawaii and the effort to bring relief and recovery services to such a remote area. Obviously, you have been part of disaster response teams in the past, of course, but I would imagine that deploying to a location as remote as Hawaii is a whole different ballgame. I mean, we don't normally think about this because it's a state, but it's a state out in the middle of the ocean. What's involved in making something like that happen? Uh, you're right, Chris. Definitely some logistical challenges that I uh, normally don't deal with, you know, on other deployments here within the continental U.S. So, um, travel, you know, getting there, it's going to be a very long day, uh, taking a couple of flights, taking off out of Detroit, and then um, we'll connect through Dallas, and then we'll we'll make our way over to the island. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the biggest logistical problems that we're dealing with right now, of course, is getting on to Maui itself. Uh, you know, they're evacuating a lot of people. They are restricting uh, air traffic and, and travel to the island because of the ongoing situation and, and making sure the first responders have access. So, you know, I, I honestly won't know until I hit the ground. Uh, I'll be landing in Honolulu and then I'll find out what comes next. If I'll be staying uh, on the big island for a day or two, will yeah. I head straight over to Maui? You know, these are still what we're working out. Um, 
you know, we have people on Maui uh, sheltering right now. A lot of the local volunteers, of course, who are the, the first ones in the response whenever something happens. Uh, they've been there since these fires started uh, doing the sheltering. We've got more help, more resources headed their way. Um, you know, that's one of the amazing things about being part of the Red Cross when it comes to, like, just the logistics of something well, yeah. like this. Uh, we, we truly, I, I don't think you could find an organization outside of the U.S. military that can mobilize um, the amount of, of resources and human resources uh, in a situation like this, but we're getting it done and, and we're going to be there and we're going to be there for a long time. You uh, mentioned uh, just getting in is a bit of a challenge because of the evacuations and so on. And I would guess that, again, um, I mean, this is an island. And so I would guess it also uh, presents some unique challenges in that terms like evacuation and relocation are defined a little bit differently. Yeah, definitely. I, I know that um, there's an effort, you know, just by watching the news, I've been seeing the stories of, of how they're working to get uh, people, especially tourists who are on the island. You know, this is a, a big tourist area that's been affected. So they're working to get a lot of those tourists uh, off of uh, Maui and over to the big island or one of the other islands. Uh, and then a lot of the folks uh, who live there on the island, of course, and who have been affected by this, um, you know, we've had some shelters open there on Maui, but a lot of them may have left and gone to stay with family and friends or, again, you know, just got off the island so they can get to somewhere safe. So it's a very chaotic situation, as you can imagine. Um, but we are right there in the middle of it. For those that are on the island who need safe shelter, who need comfort, who need food, you know, we're there. We're providing it. We're going to stay there and continue to provide it. And we're going to make sure that we can bring in the resources that are needed and the people are going to be there to provide all the help that we can as we make our way through this get to the recovery phase and start looking at, at rebuilding. You referred to this a little bit earlier. We're alluded to the, alluding to this, the logistical mobilization. What about the, the physical resources that you would typically have in a disaster response? I mean, coming in with trucks and trailers and pallets of relief supplies and so on. Again, from a logistics standpoint, this will be very different and very challenging. And honestly, I can't tell you exactly how... We're going to get some of the, some of it, uh, you know, yeah. whether it will be the flying semis, which I doubt. But, you know, there's, a, a, of course, supplies and, and resources that are available on the island, both uh, Red Cross resources. And, and we work with the, the state, the county, the local governments and uh, the emergency management agencies who all have resources also. So, you know, th those, of course, were already there and in place. Um, and as we start to scale up, as we see, you know, as this disaster grows and we, we see what's needed, then I know our team is working very hard. We've got uh, warehouses across the country that um, are stocked with the supplies for what we do in these situations. So, you know, the resources what? are already there. They're ready to travel. Uh, we'll make the arrangements to get them over there. What about, and I know that the Red Cross has a, a very good working relationship with the U.S. military. The U.S. military has a very strong uh, presence in the state of Hawaii because of, of its strategic location. Uh, are, are, are Red Cross, uh, is the Red Cross kind of coordinating some of this with the U.S. military to be able to make this happen or... I don't know, honestly, don't know if that's happening in this situation now okay. or yet. Um, but in the, in the past, uh, you know, I'm aware where we've been in situations where we have been able to work with the military because, you know, they were the only ones who were able to get into certain areas mm -hmm. and, and they knew that we needed to get our people and our resources. So we've definitely, uh, worked with them in the past to make that happen. I'm not sure what the situation is right now, uh, in Maui with that. Yeah. Obviously, when you talk about recovery from any natural disaster, the first step is rebuilding, which will, uh, again, also involve a significant logistical effort and getting operations back up and running. But so much of this region's economy, as you were talking about, is tourism dependent. You're also coming off some very lean years of the pandemic when people couldn't or didn't feel safe to travel. So it's uh, it's been yeah. a bit of a difficult time. Uh, for people in that area, uh, there's no good time for a disaster, obviously, but the, but the timing uh, is something you can't overlook. It is going to be a long road to recovery for these folks. 
Yeah, this is this is just such a devastating disaster uh, for the island of Maui. And also, you know, we have to remember there's also fires burning uh, on the big island, Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not as widespread, fortunately, but uh, still folks are being affected by those also. But, you know, the the tourism industry is going to take a tremendous hit. Uh, of course, the top of all of this is the loss of life. Uh, right. It's just such a tragedy for this community, uh, a very tight-knit community from everything that I understand and, and read about and, and watching the news reports. But yeah, with the, the tourism industry being a large portion of the economy for these, these folks, it's going to be very hard on them. Uh, so once we start the rebuilding phase and, you know, that, that's, uh, the community will, will start to put the pieces back together, but it, it's going to take a while and, and it's going to be tough for these families. They rely on that tourist economy and, they're not going to be able to rely on that probably for a, a long time. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, whenever we have these sorts of large-scale disasters uh, making headlines, uh, the question always becomes, how can we help? So how can we help? And my main answer, Chris, is going to be what it always is, really, because these are the best ways you can help in, in the disasters, no matter what type it is. Um, you know, number one is join us. If you're interested in volunteering with the Red Cross, being one of our team who responds to these events when they happen and, and provides the shelter and, and care and comfort for the families affected, we need volunteers. Uh, so please contact us. Call us at 800-RED-CROSS uh, or visit redcross.org. Uh, if you'd like to make a financial contribution to support our disaster relief efforts, that is always needed. That's how we do what we do. Um, and also, you know, I would always remind folks in this situation, we're not seeing uh, a big call for a need for blood, but that is a need that we deal with every day in this country. Uh, outside of disasters, we have a tremendous need for blood donors every day. And summer is always a tough time anyway. We're, we're falling short of collecting the units that we need to distribute to hospitals every day. So I would encourage everyone to visit redcrossblood.org and make an appointment to donate blood soon. Again, uh, local director Todd James of the uh, Red Cross uh, who's deploying to Hawaii. Not the not the way you want to go visit Hawaii, but uh, certainly uh, they will be uh, better for your presence there and your expertise there. Stay safe, and uh, here's hoping you get home soon. Well, thank you, Chris. I appreciate that, and I, I've got to say thank you. Uh, you know, I told my wife Kendra last night that. I don't know a lot of wives that on a regular basis are so accepting when their husband says, uh, by the way, I just got a phone call and I'm getting on a plane tomorrow. I'm flying to Hawaii and I don't know how long I'll be gone. <laughs> uh, and her answer is always, you go do what you got to do. So, uh, I'm very blessed to, to have the support of our entire community here. And I truly do appreciate it. Todd, stay safe. Thanks very much. Thank you, Chris. So Finley's biggest event of the summer happens this weekend, and in fact, it's already underway. The first balloon launch at the crack of dawn, the sunrise launch of the Visit Finley balloon. Seven o'clock, the media VIP flight, the first of the balloon flights out of Emory Adams Park this morning. And then it is up, up and away. In case you missed it last week on the program, Kelly Bibler from the committee that puts on the Flag City Balloon Fest dropped by our studio to give us a preview of the event. It is not only such a big event, but the the balloonists are coming in from everywhere. Yes, yes, yes. We are actually, uh, our event is very popular with the balloonist, and there are other events across the country on the same day. So we have a lot that like to return. And that's amazing, 50, because if memory serves, when this started, it was maybe a dozen, dozen and a half. Maybe like 20, 20, maybe at the most. At the most, yeah. Yeah, yeah. One of the other things that uh, we've talked about in the past and... uh, again, sometimes people don't realize, is there's there's a competition involved yes. uh, in this. I mean, it's not just an exhibition. It yes. is that. Yeah. But it is also, and maybe for the balloonists, this is the bigger deal, it's a competition. Yeah, so there's actually prize money that they can win. So mm-hmm. they'll um, our pilot relations team will set up, um, maybe they have to drop a beanbag and a bullseye, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff where they're flying overhead and they yeah. have to land in a certain spot and whoever gets the closest. So there's mm-hmm. um, some competition involved in a chance for them to win some money. So for the the rest of us, uh, this is all, again, happening at Emory Adams Park. Yes. Uh, and it's more than just the balloons. 
Yes. That's the big attraction. Obviously, yes. A lot of things going on. Yeah, so um, this is a family-friendly event, and there's no admission to get into Balloon Fest. Now, there are things that you can pay for once you get in there, but you don't have to. You can walk around, Mm -hmm. watch the balloons, check it out for free. There's a kids kids zone that's open, um, starts opening Friday night, and then Saturday again. Um, There's inflatables down there. There's a petting zoo. There's face painting, all kinds of games, like pony rides. So that's always fun for the kids. They jump around in those inflatables and get sweaty and fun. I guess it's appropriate that you have inflatables at a balloon fest. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you really think about it, that's the appropriate thing. You would have to have inflatables. Absolutely. There's a lot of air. (laughs) A lot of air at balloon fest. A lot of air. A lot of hot air. (laughs) Um, Friday night is Veterans Night, so we always partner up with Flight City Honor Flight, and they... um, uh, sponsor a tent and they bring in heavenly pizza and it's by the flight line so those uh, veterans can come and enjoy have a place to sit for the the glow encounter that happens so yeah. we love we love being veteran friendly there's also craft show yeah and you know lots of other things going yeah. on so what else is happening we have lots of vendors there's a car and motorcycle show okay that is on saturday from 10 to 2 down at the north end so you can bring your car starts at nine for registration uh health systems helping to bring that event so mm-hmm. that's that's always a big one you mentioned lots of food uh yes reference the yeah, craft show is uh, yes. happening as well craft show uh lots of dry good vendors uh yeah lots lots of food lots of food and as we mentioned the primary attraction the central attraction being the balloons yes when do they launch? When are they going to be there? What's I mean? What's the schedule with respect to the balloons themselves? Absolutely. So Friday morning we have what's called a media flight. We have about thirteen balloons that will be in the air, mm-hmm. and then starting on Friday is when they come in and they inflate and they fly um, all over Hancock County. So mm-hmm. you'll see them going east, west, north, south, and then Friday night when it gets uh, dark, we'll have the glow encounter that people like, so they can yeah. come watch them glow. And then Saturday morning, again, they're all up in the air. Some fly into Emory Adams, some fly out to Emory Adams, try to break them up that way. And then again, Saturday evening, you'll see them in the air, and then we'll have the glow encounter again. Okay. And then Sunday morning, you will see them in the the air. Yeah, the one final launch uh, on uh, Sunday morning. One of the things we really enjoy about uh, Balloon Fest is the fact that, you know, once they're up, uh, you're never quite sure exactly where they're going to go no. uh, from there. I mean, no. you know, obviously, to a certain extent, they're at the mercy of the wind patterns, and they're very good at controlling where they go. Yes. But we don't, as observers, know exactly where they're going to go. No. They may land in your neighborhood. They uh, might. They may, I know they have done that in our neighborhood in the past, and it's really fun to watch everybody uh, just follow them around on the streets yeah, and create I love a, it. a crowd. I've heard people say, like, oh, I see my neighbors once a year at when the balloon's <laughs> come out we all yeah. come out in the mornings with yeah. our our coffee and we watch the balloons and we chat so mm-hmm. hey we're bringing neighborhoods together yeah uh absolutely so that's uh part of the fun but you really uh, have to be there at emory adams to really get the full experience see all of the balloons all yeah. at the same time yep. whether it's for the glow or the launches uh the landing absolutely you, absolutely so. and our pilots are accessible over there and you know mm-hmm. if you're you want to bring your kids or you guys want to come and Talk to them and, and find out about it. They're yeah. they're there and they love to chat about their hobby. The entire schedule, especially the balloon launches and, and things, are weather dependent. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and they are very very sensitive uh, to the weather. Yeah, we there's a, a gentleman who's a he's a pilot, and that's his job. He's our weather guy, so we mm-hmm. have our own weather guy. And that's what he does is he works with the pilots and and they look at all the weather conditions and, and not just is it raining or not, but maybe it might be beautiful out, but the wind might be a little bit yeah. rough and things you can't see up in the air that they're right. watching. They're yeah. watching the patterns above the clouds so or up in the air higher. So, yeah, yeah there's a lot that goes into it. And some balloonists will are, are more um, nervous than others to fly in certain conditions. So it's always mm-hmm. pilot's discretion. Yeah. Uh, so it's one of those things where don't be too disappointed if maybe one of the launches doesn't happen yeah, right. uh, the yeah. way at the time you thought it would or, yeah. you know, the you know with all of the yeah. balloons and so on, because there are a lot yeah. of things that are dependent. Like you Absolutely. said, some of them that we don't even... Uh, yeah. recognize yeah. they uh, want to them. fly yeah they're here yeah. because they want to fly exactly but they also it, it that is a very expensive hobby so they're not going to put themselves at risk 
or put their balloon at risk. Yeah, yeah, and yeah their investment at risk. I, I'm I'm wondering. One of the big uh, ongoing stories uh, this summer has been the uh, haze from the yes. uh, wildfires. Right. Does that impact the balloon uh, balloonists at all? I mean, is that something that they have to factor in as well? Just in terms of like visibility, like where is the haze laying? Is it going to? Mm. Um, does it affect their ability to see where they're going to land? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. So if it's really thick in an area or if it's really thick in a, a certain section of the sky, yeah. then it might have an impact or, on Or them. seeing where they're flying Abs- yes. to yeah. while they're in the air. Because, yes. again, a lot of times that stuff is thicker at elevation than yes. it is at ground level. Yeah. So, And that's where our, the, the weather guy comes in. Yeah, yep. boy. A lot of things that uh, go into this really fascinating yeah. uh, to it's a science. Really think about uh, everything that uh, goes into this. But, again, Pretty much all day, uh, Friday and Saturday. Lots yep, Friday going. Friday starts at 4, and then Saturday all day. Complete schedule on the website, right? Yep, flagcityballoonfest.com. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. This is how you know that you're having a bad day. This is how you know that you are having a bad day. In Bend, Oregon, a man accidentally shot himself in the leg and then crashed his vehicle while driving himself to the hospital. (laughs) Now that's a bad day right there. (laughs) That's a bad day. Uh, According to a friend... Uh, The unidentified man was drinking bourbon and cleaning his guns, (laughs) which that's not a real smart combination right there. Drinking bourbon and cleaning his guns when, surprise of all surprises, he shot himself in the leg. As he drove himself to seek medical attention, he reportedly lost consciousness and crashed into a pillar near the hospital. (laughs) Please. Police responded to the call of the vehicle accident only to find the man lying near the side of the road with a gunshot wound in his left thigh. (laughs) Uh, He was uh, transported by ambulance to the ER. Uh, I believe he's going to be okay. Um, He's probably going to be facing some charges, I would think. This is a classic broken news story right there. But that's how you know you're having a bad day. If you haven't shot yourself in the leg and then crashed your car on the way to the hospital, then just remember, your day could be worse. If that hasn't happened to you, then it's not as bad as it could be. Elsewhere in the broken news, speaking of uh, odd gunplay, a man in Memphis, Tennessee has been charged with shooting a young girl and... He then told police it was all an accident. Um, Kenneth Mosley claims that he was shooting at two dogs to try to keep them away from his property when a bullet went through the window of a home next door and hit uh, the uh, the little girl. Now, uh, I should point out she's going to be okay. She was taken to the hospital and is listed in non-critical condition, so it looks like she's going to be okay. Mr. Mosley is is facing charges of reckless endangerment and gets to explain himself to a judge today. You're on today. <laughs> I'm not sure if the explanation makes the whole thing any better. You know, as I didn't mean to shoot the little girl. I was shooting at these dogs to get them off my property. I don't think you can do that either. <laughs> I don't think you can do that either. <clears throat> Uh, Also from Memphis, uh, Tennessee, Memphis is a busy place in the broken news. Uh, Man is behind bars after the cops say he stole an ambulance and went on a joyride. I I am actually surprised at how often we we have a lot of unusual vehicles that are stolen and taken on joyrides. But it really surprises me how often we have stolen ambulances in the uh, broken news, you would think that that would be uh, a vehicle that would not necessarily be immune from carjacking. But generally, if you carjack a vehicle, you want it to be an inconspicuous type vehicle. A, an ambulance is not that. 
All happened around 8 p.m. Wednesday when Crittenden County EMS reported an ambulance stolen from the local children's hospital. Police later found James Miller was driving the stolen vehicle through East Memphis when he ran a red light and struck a pedestrian. Again, I I don't know the condition of the pedestrian. I hope they're going to be okay. Uh, Mr. Miller then crashed into not one, not two, not three, but four separate vehicles, sending two more people to the hospital with non-critical injuries. (laughs) Mr. Miller was eventually stopped and taken into custody on multiple charges, not surprisingly. That is a full day right there. That's how much trouble can I get into today? That's... Uh, this is kind of, uh, interesting in Florida, always have to have at least one story out of Florida. Apparently, uh, this is, I don't know where exactly in Florida doesn't say just as a Florida man by the name of Joseph Puzulu is accused of stealing at least $1,000 worth of lobster and other fresh meats from a local nano brewery. Uh, The establishment reported a break-in. The suspect is accused of taking food directly from the freezer in the middle of the night. Surveillance footage shows the man uh, not only throwing the packs of food over a gated fence and loading the food into a shopping cart and then leaving. (laughs) So maybe he thought he was at the grocery. He also is believed to have taken not just the uh, lobster, but also uh, pork some fries, bratwurst, beef, along with a smoker, a ladder, and a canopy tent. (laughs) Uh, I think police will be uh, investigating anyone who is throwing a party this weekend. Little surf and turf there. Somebody in Florida invites you over for some surf and turf. Be suspicious. Uh, From the international file, an Austrian shop near Vienna was evacuated on Tuesday after a venomous Brazilian wandering spider was spotted inside the shop. Uh, Brazilian wandering spider. These are uh, very venomous. Now, bites can be fatal, causing hypothermia and convulsions, but that doesn't happen very often. The more likely Uh, side effect of being bitten by a Brazilian wandering spider is that when men are bitten, they can experience, let's say, similar effects to taking Viagra. (laughs) That's what the spider bite causes. A similar effect to Viagra, if you know what I'm talking about. And uh, this this condition can last... For more than four hours. What do they say? If it lasts more than four hours, see a doctor. This is not good. (laughs) Uh, So now you know why they evacuated and closed the store. Uh, An exterminator is being called to the scene, and the store will be deep cleaned and disinfected. Uh, the, uh, store, the shop, it says, will likely be closed until next week. It is suspected that the spider uh, entered the country because it's not native to uh, Austria. It probably uh, came into the country with a, a crate of bananas or something. So, Brazilian wandering spider. You don't want to get bit by one of those. <laughs> if you're a guy, anyway. <laughs> and finally, in the broken news this morning... Two individuals who sped away from a traffic stop in Missouri have been apprehended after a subsequent high-speed pursuit. This was in the Ozarks. The incident unfolded as law enforcement sought to conduct a routine stop because of a missing front license plate. In Missouri, you have to have both front and back, and uh, this this, uh, vehicle was missing its front plate. And uh, police thought it was maybe a suspicious vehicle, so they pulled it over with a pretense of a missing front license plate. Uh, However, the suspects sped away, leading officers on a chase before eventually being apprehended. Authorities discovered a firearm, a large amount of cash, and drugs inside the suspect's vehicle. Both individuals face charges related to both the pursuit and the items that were recovered from the car. 
Um, so what's interesting, and again, they recovered drugs, a firearm, and a large amount of cash. Um, the police might have been suspicious by the personalized license plate, which read, We High. We High is what the personalized license plate said. And sure enough, <laughs> they found drugs in the vehicle. Who could have thought? Who could have seen that coming? We High. <laughs> That's like the people who uh, pose in their uh, mug shots, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, strange t-shirts on it. You know, it's really weird. Anyway, there you go. Uh, that is uh, today's broken news report, an update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines, and we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Finley's Andy Ritz on becoming a Finley Rotarian. After 35 years working as a pediatrician in Finley, I wanted to give back to the community, but not at my job, but as a service that would reach many people. The best way to do this was for me to join Finley Rotary, and that's what I did in February of 2022. To become part of an organization that brings together business, professional leaders to provide community service and advance goodwill, contact Findlay Rotary at findlayrotary.org and click on join. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. When was the last time you bought something and feel and felt like you truly got your money's worth? Uh, if the results of this new survey are to be believed, it's probably been a while. New survey of 2,000 U.S. adults revealed that on average, only 55% of purchases that Americans make uh, do the purchasers feel were worth every penny. Only 55% of our purchases are worth every penny. Uh, this is kind of interesting. Just 15% admit that they are satisfied by only 20% of their purchases or fewer. Uh, even though, I mean, that doesn't sound really encouraging for you know businesses, products and services and so on. Even so, almost two-thirds of respondents have high expectations for every purchase uh, they make. 64% say they expect to be fully satisfied even if they are mostly disappointed or most often disappointed when asked what purchases give them the most bang for the buck uh, many of the respondents in the survey outlined transportation items vehicles car and motorcycle uh, were right up there at the uh, top of the list other items that uh, make respondents lives easier are among those that they are typically most satisfied with Things like washer and dryer or an air fryer or something like that. It can be a large or a small appliance, whatever. But if it makes our lives easier, we are generally satisfied with our purchase. But some of the responses of the purchases people have made in which they felt they got their money's worth or were worth every penny, some of them responses were rather personal. One respondent said major surgery on the family dog was worth every penny, uh, and one respondent said, my marriage license was worth every penny. So I wouldn't have really thought about that as a purchase, uh, but certainly a point. I thought that was interesting, though. Only 55% of the purchases we make are, in retrospect, things that we are completely satisfied with. Really says, speaks to businesses, you've got some work to do in terms of customer satisfaction, right? My wife, Kyra, has joined us in the studio once again. It is time for another collection of yummy and easy-to-make recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. Good morning. Good morning. So, this is kind of interesting, your uh, theme this week. Yeah. We've kind of gotten into theme weeks I here know. lately. <laughs> Trying um, to change and, it up a little. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, everything, uh, all of these recipes are, are things that you have made in the uh, cast iron skillet. Yes. And... You've talked about this uh, before with a number of the uh, recipes. Love that cast iron I skillet. Do. There's I love nothing my own like cast it. Cast iron. So, if uh, if you've ever we speak to yep. anyone who has ever begged for a cast iron yep. skillet, 
you know, well, from their spouse. That, it, give mean, me a cast iron skillet, yeah. or you can only use it on a gas stove, or or you know. Yeah, we don't have a gas stove. No, we yeah, you can and, use it on and ours is a glass top. And that's and the other I, thing. And you I, do have to be careful with you a have to glass be careful, top, but, but it's. I mean, you have to be careful with a glass top, period, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, that's very true as well. Um, but if you've ever been looking for an excuse to get a cast yep. iron skillet, here yes. you go. We have uh, cast iron skillet rele- uh, recipes, starting with, and this is really yummy, a cast iron meatloaf. Yes. So this, and all of these things are actually the cast iron I'm baking. I'm not putting them on oh, top of the flat top. Interesting. So, yeah, so, interesting. So one pound ground beef, half pound ground sausage, three-fourths cup of quick oats, quarter cup of ketchup plus more for drizzle a quarter cup of golden barbecue sauce or just a regular barbecue sauce if you don't have golden or you don't like golden mm-hmm. i love golden so uh one egg half cup onion diced one tablespoon minced garlic one tablespoon of worcestershire sauce two teaspoons of salt one teaspoon of garlic powder and one teaspoon of dried parsley so preheat your oven to 375 degrees add all your ingredients to a large bowl Mix by hand. Try not to overmix because um, that will make your meatloaf tougher. So just kind of hmm. get it all blended okay. together. All right. Uh, and then um, once everything looks combined, add it to your greased uh, 10 by a 10 inch cast iron skillet. What I did was I actually put some butter in my skillet and put it in the oven and warmed it up and melted that butter, mm. brought it out. Okay. Then put my beef on uh, my meatloaf mixture on on in then uh, pat the loaf uh, shape it drizzle it with some ketchup and some more barbecue sauce and then bake for 45 minutes serve with uh, more barbecue sauce if desired <laughs> she likes her barbecue I sauce do. but uh yeah it's really yummy yes and uh do it yeah in we the, had this uh, a couple iron, weeks ago cast iron skillet yeah. in the oven yeah so i was um, in the mood for meatloaf <laughs> to go along with the uh, meat what's what goes better uh with meatloaf than au gratin potatoes yes. and and you have a recipe for that that you yes. do in the cast iron, cast iron skillet as well. Yes. So eight red potatoes, thinly sliced, half a cup onion chopped, one and a half cups of heavy whipping cream, uh, half a cup of melted butter, two tablespoons minced garlic, one teaspoon dried thyme, a half a teaspoon of onion powder, one teaspoon kosher salt, and a cup of Colby Jack cheese shredded. So preheat your... Um, or prepare your cream mixture in a microwave, melt your butter. Once melted, add uh, to a mixing bowl with heavy, heavy whipping cream, garlic, and seasonings. Mm-hmm. Then in a cast iron skillet, layer a, uh, put a layer of your potatoes and your onions. Then pour your heavy cream uh, mixture, heavy cream mixture over the potatoes. Top with the cheese, bake covered for 30 minutes at 425, and then uncover it and bake for another 15 minutes. Uh, just to kind of yummy up that cheese mm-hmm. on top. Yeah. Uh, so and then enjoy. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, really simple. Really and easy. Yeah. Yep. Love oh gotten potatoes. Yes. Yes. Just um, kind of dump and go. <laughs> and and even for dessert, you're using the cast iron skillet. Uh, for a cherry cobbler. Yes. Here. So this is a can of your biscuits, flaky biscuits, one large can of cherry pie filling, a half a stick of butter melted, a quarter cup of powdered sugar, one teaspoon of vanilla, and eight ounce cream cheese. So preheat your oven to 350 degrees. Uh, grease your cast iron pan with butter. Pour the cherry pie filling into the pan. Dip biscuits into the melted butter. Place on top of the cherry pie filling in the cast iron skillet. Bake until the biscuits are golden brown, about 15 minutes or so. Um, While that's baking, use an electric mixer. Combine your powdered sugar, your vanilla, and your cream cheese. Beat all that until it's nice and smooth. Then drizzle that on top of your cobbler when it is nice and warm and serve with ice cream or whipped cream. So you're actually putting the cherries 
right in the mm-hmm. skillet. Mm-hmm. Uh, because as you were uh, sharing that recipe, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, does it have to be a cherry cobbler? No. You could use oh, yeah. uh, maybe a different, yeah, you know. Apple, apples, blueberry, blueberry, mixed berry. I was thinking peaches. Peaches. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, that would be good. Something like mm-hmm. that. Is that going to, but because you're putting the, the fruit or the filling right there uh, in the pan, does that change uh, the baking time no, at all? No, no, it should be fine. All of the fruits yeah. will pretty much cook the yeah. same same rate because yep. some fruits are more delicate than right. others. So no. I, that's why I was thinking. No, but you, you can should try be good. it. Yeah, you, you try it with. I mean, the recipe is for cherry cobbler, but I can see you, you know, oh, using yeah. all kinds of yeah, uh, different you could all kinds of different recipes. ones. Yeah. By the way, I should mention we only have one cast iron skillet. Yes, <laughs> we do. <laughs> So, I mean, if you wanted to do all three of these, you'd really you'd really need three cast yes. iron skillets. Yes. So I'm I'm well, guessing I, I owe guess, you two, or at least two, <laughs> at least two, because you could do the meatloaf and put that on like a dish, and then use it again for your cobbler if you wanted to. Okay, um, but not for your all gratin pa- potatoes because those you know just need yeah. to stay in there and serve. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I what we're but, what we're saying is that I. Need to get you two more cast two iron more? skillets. Yes. I think. Oh, hey, I'll, um, I'll take that. <laughs> but anyway, the uh, recipes for the uh, cast iron skillet meatloaf, potatoes au gratin, and cherry cobbler are all all posted at the uh, Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page yep. at Kyra's Kitchen WFIN on Facebook. Uh, so if you try some of those alternative ideas, you know, you can share your results uh, yes. on Facebook. Uh, you can also uh, find those recipes, uh, you know, all of the details there. And uh, if you have something that you want to share, maybe a favorite cast iron skillet recipe, because oh, yeah. Kyra's always up for oh, one of those. So if you have a, a favorite cast iron skillet recipe, by all means, uh, share that. If you're looking for a particular recipe, uh, for an upcoming gathering or what have you, uh, by all means, uh, make that request. You can post it uh, on the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page, or you can email us directly. Uh, Good mornings at wfin.com is the email address, and uh, we'll make sure that uh, Kyra gets that. And again, at Kyra's Kitchen WFIN on Facebook. My wife, Kyra, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. You can also find us on social media. Sign up for our daily email newsletter. Contact us directly via email and more. Again, all right there at goodmornings.net. So until Monday morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.